Good morning. Today's scripture is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 20. It can be found on page 6 of your bulletin. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. This might be a good time to invite you to volunteer to be a part of the scripture reading team. Um, I think we have some vacancies, and so if you enjoy being able to uh, speak publicly and find yourself doing so effectively, uh, it's such a vital time for us to uh, communicate God's word with each other. So let Joanna know um, if you'd like to join in that rotation. Uh, we're nearing the end of our study of the Sermon on the Mount as part of our study, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, so let's turn our attention to this passage, but first let's pause and pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, we invite you to be present. We've got a crowd of people here, but the one that we most need, even as much as we need one another, the one that we most need is you. Uh, so please come and bless your word. These very words which you have spoken, we pray that you would re-speak them deep into our hearts. We look forward to how you're going to bear fruit in our lives. You're going to change us, Jesus. <laughs> we believe you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Recently, while I was driving on a trip together with my family in Charlottesville, I came upon a road. My Google Maps on my phone told me, literally told me, to make the left turn. But I hesitated. I even thought to myself, oh, hold on, am I going the right way? As I peered down that road and noticed that it was old and a little beat up. It looked like no one had been on it for quite some time. It didn't look very popular at all. In that moment, I was the only car heading in either direction. And it passed under a bridge that looked far too narrow to be safe, to be right. In the end, I did take it, obediently subservient to the voice of Siri. And it turned out to be the right way. As I passed under that narrow bridge and bumpily moved down that beaten up road, a whole new avenue opened up on the other side and took us down to the restaurant that we were looking for. It didn't look like it. It even looked a little shady. And yet it turned out to be the right road. The moral of the story is always trust Google Maps. Let's pray. No. The moral of the story is that even the suspicious-looking road, even the narrow one, sometimes is the right one. 
which is exactly the point that Jesus is trying to make in this wonderful passage where he draws upon a number of different word images and pictures to draw out profound spiritual lessons. He says at the top of the passage, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, this extended teaching that he gave to his disciples, recorded here in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And now he's inviting us, inviting you and me, to make a choice. Choose the way of the kingdom of God. Because, as he tells us in verse 14, it's the vision of life that leads to life, true life. Jesus' way leads to life, but it's not easy. It's like passing through a small gate, he tells us. You have to give up some things in order to make your way through it. It's like walking down a a narrow road. If you're not careful, you'll find yourself straying from it. Only a few find it. Only a few take it. But in the end, Jesus reassures you and me. It leads to life. There's another way. He's clear to say. Another way to live according to the values in the kingdom. The values of the kingdom of this world. It's much easier to walk that way. It's got a wide gate. You don't have to give up much to get through it. It's a broad road. You're almost never not on it. It's much, much more popular. Many enter through it, but in the end, it leads to destruction. And if we call to mind all that Jesus has already taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, we know and can understand a little bit of what Jesus means. Because he's taught us. Pride, you see, is easy. Being poor in spirit, having the ability to say, I don't have the resources to save myself or fix myself, that's hard. The narrow way. Refusing to murder with our hands is, well, easy. Refusing to murder in our hearts with hate, that's hard. Owning money is easy. Not letting money own you is hard. Loving people who are like you, that's easy. Loving people who hurt you, even your enemies, That's impossible. Resentment and retaliation, that's easy. Showing mercy when you've been wrong is hard. Generosity that leads to popularity, that's easy. Generosity when no one says thank you is hard. Praying because you want something from God is easy. Praying just because you love God, that can be hard. You see, the way of the kingdom, it leads to life, 
but it is hard. It's less popular. It's, it's less obvious. The way of self-centeredness, of self-righteousness, of self-reliance, that's easy. It comes naturally. You it doesn't have to be learned. No effort is required to live that way. But the way of Jesus that he's been pounding before us again and again and in so many different ways in all angles and aspects of life, he says that way, the way of humility and sacrificial love is hard. In fact, it's impossible. It requires supernatural grace. In fact, it requires a miraculous change of heart. Because Shapri was getting at this earlier with respect to our kids. Managing behavior, even religious behavior on the outside, doing the right thing for human eyes to see, that's easy. Changing the motives and the desires of your heart, which is the focus of God's attention upon your life, that's hard. Jesus isn't just talking about more religious. He's not just talking about surface morality. He has no tolerance, we see. No tolerance for that kind of moral hypocrisy. He's talking about the grace of God piercing your life. And changing you, turning you upside down, conforming you to a whole vision of life that is hard for the eye to perceive, easy to miss, not obvious, not always popular, but it'll give you life. Do you want life? Do you want the freedom to be weak? The narrow way. To be freed of self and the need to be strong and tough and put together all the time. Do you want the freedom to be weak, which is what you and I need in order to love? Because you know, love always requires of you vulnerability, doesn't it? He's revealing one of the central principles of the kingdom of God, which is power through weakness. Power through weakness, which was displayed with all fullness in the cross of Jesus Christ. He who died for us in order to give us life. Who, he who gives us spiritual power to change by inviting us to the first steps of weakness and nothingness. It's called repentance. It's called saying, God, I cannot do this on my own. It's called saying, God, I repent and turn from my sin. More importantly, I turn from myself and I turn to you. I can't, Lord Jesus, you can. That's how it all begins. Power through weakness, life through death, Jesus promises you life. Today, Jesus is saying to you, choose life, choose me. Enter through the narrow gate. The narrow road. The road that leads to life. Some of you have been exploring the Christian faith for some time. 
In fact, perhaps everything that I've just rehearsed right now about the heart of the Christian faith is something that you can nod your head with and affirm. Maybe you've even begun to experience personally some transformation where Jesus isn't just someone to believe or something to follow, but someone you are beginning to love. Choose him. Today is a good day of salvation for you. And some of you are professing Christians but perhaps you've been living a life of pride and self-reliance. You, you've been choosing the broad path and the wide gate. Which maybe has manifested in all sorts of kinds of broken living. But at the heart of it, you know it's because it's all about you. Maybe you've been running away from God. Maybe you've been saying, I make the rules. I call the shots in this area of my life. Or maybe you've been working at being really good, but you know your heart is far from God. Maybe religious activity, maybe even involvement in this church, which we are always inviting you to, but maybe you are using even that as your way of running from God. That you might be in the sanctuary, but you are not being a sanctuary, a home for God himself. Will you choose him or re-choose him and seek life through the cross, power through weakness? Life is being offered to you. But Jesus also begins this conversation about false prophets. It might seem a little strain, strange in the course of his teaching. But you see, part of it is because He's acknowledging that the Broadway and the wide gates, that's easy to spot. It's easy to go astray. It's easy to be led astray. Few enter the narrow gate because few want to and few are taught to. To choose the way to enter in the narrow gate, you have to be taught rightly. And so Jesus is warning us about what he calls the influence of false prophets. Verse 15, watch out for false prophets. When you hear the word prophet, most people think of someone who foretells the future. In the Bible, that was only part of the prophet's job. The main job for the prophet wasn't to foretell, but rather to forthtell tell, to declare, to teach, to instruct the people of God with the truth of God, applying it to the lives of his people. In other words, broadly speaking, a prophet is one who teaches with spiritual authority. A false prophet then, the kind that Jesus is talking about, is one who falsifies what God has already said, has actually said either by teaching things that openly contradict God's word or, more commonly, by twisting God's word. Jesus tells us that false prophets are deceptive. Notice verse 15 again. They come to you in sheep's clothing, making out like a sheep, yet inwardly they are ferocious wolves. They look like one of you. They seem safe. They sound safe. 
In fact, they sound good. They tell you the right road is the broad road. They tell you the good gate is the wide gate, the easy way, the quick way, the superficially successful way. In other words, one of the marks of false prophets is that they tend to tell you only what you want to hear. And we understand, of course, it would make out to be a bad doctor for a physician in an appointment with you only to tell you what you want to hear, how much more so in matters of physical healing, uh, spiritual healing and spiritual life. The physicians of your soul, if they only told you what you want to hear. Other parts of scripture also verify this as a key characteristic of false prophets. Jeremiah 8. They dress the wounds of my people superficially. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Never calling people to repentance and loving accountability. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul warns, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Or in 2 Peter chapter 2, we have this description of false teachers as springs without water. They mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. And false prophets do all of this for selfish gain. They appear to be for you, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And a wolf's real goal is his stomach, isn't it? A wolf uses the sheep to serve herself dinner. A false prophet uses people to serve himself popularity and power. Friends, are you growing in discernment and understanding, first of all, that there are false prophets, false teachers? Are, are you learning to be vigilant, to be able to tell truth from error? Or are you just taking it all in, or maybe even worse than taking it all in, taking in only what you want to hear? Are you leaving churches or leaving small groups or leaving relationships because they actually told you the truth one day? where you're sort of almost running from people and fleeing towards false prophets of your own making. Looking for ways to prop up yourself and protect yourself from accountability. The point here, of course, is not to invite us to go on to witch hunts or to be suspicious of every last teacher, but rather to be vigilant. In fact, as I was thinking about this over the past couple of weeks, I was thinking how important it is for us to be vigilant even in the way in which we take in information and teaching, not just from officially recognized sources of teaching, but from everywhere, including, for example, social media and the general media, where we tend to give people prophet-like status, authority. Well, if they say it this way, or if my group sees it this way, then it must be true. 
with no discernment, with no weighing God's word over against what people are saying. We must become discerning listeners, discerning readers, testing everything against the word of Christ. Otherwise, we can learn to be very confident, very passionate, very opinionated fools. Or worse than that, people on the road to destruction. And so a lot is at stake for us to grow in our maturity and understanding truth and the holders of truth and error and the propagators of error. But how can you tell the difference? How do you tell if somebody is a false teacher? Well, it's not easy. Jesus answers the question, but he does tell us it's not easy. They're wearing sheep's clothing, right? They're hard to detect. One way you can tell is by the content of their teaching. Whether or not the prophet, the teacher, the authority source is actually speaking in line with the truth of God's word. For instance, in places like 1 John chapter 4, this is what we're taught. John writes, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. And he's talking about the spirit by which these people are teaching. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. The content of their teaching, the doctrine of their teaching, it does matter. It does need to be examined against the standard of what has been tried and true beliefs, confessions, doctrines throughout the history of the church generation after generation what's often called orthodoxy this is one of the responsibilities of elders and pastors in the church they're the ones who trained and equipped and called to evaluate the teaching of others to guard what is taught in the church from false teaching this is the responsibility of every single member but it is especially a responsibility of those who are entrusted to protect the church from error, namely elders, pastors. We have to understand that the label false, false prophet, though, isn't a reference to a teacher who just makes occasional errors or honest mistakes. We all do. Nor is it a reference to those with whom we just have differences. A false prophet, in, in fact, is one who persists in error and who sells it as truth. And it's at this point that I've just got to say how humbling it is for me even to say any of this. Because some of you may not know me all that well, and some of you may understand the irony, of course. I'm telling you these things with some amount of authority based on God's word. And some of you are sitting there saying, maybe, and who are you? thinking earlier this week about that passage in James that says not many should presume to be teachers because you'll actually be judged more strictly, held more accountable for the things you say because of the influence that you have over people. This is for real. It's for real for me. 
I confess one, uh, being one who has made errors and mistakes in my teaching, in my shaping of people, in my handling of God's word. I hope I've been humble when I've made those mistakes. By God's grace, I don't believe myself to be a false prophet, but that's not for even me to declare to you. That's for others, those to whom I'm accountable, other pastors, the presbytery, the gathering of elders in this region, a denomination, somebody that can say, yes, this person is not teaching error. It's why we need to continue to pray to fill out the ranks of our elders and pastors and other kinds of leaders throughout the life of our church for many, many reasons, different gifts and ways of serving the church and the community, but also this function, namely to keep the purity of God's word and the truth of his word in this church. That's a key part of how we can key way in which we can tell false prophets from true ones. It's true that false prophets reveal their true identity through their teaching, but did you notice in this particular passage, that's not what Jesus focuses on. His focus lies elsewhere. Look at verse 16. By their, what? Fruit. You will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Verse 20, thus by their fruit you will recognize them. What's Jesus' point? You can't hide the identity of a tree for very long. Sooner or later, apples are going to show up on an apple tree. Peaches produce, peach trees produce peaches, and a sick tree eventually is going to produce dead fruit, shriveled up fruit, or no fruit at all. A tree cannot disguise itself. The fruit tells the truth about the tree. The fruit tells the truth about a teacher. How do you know if they've got a wolf's heart on the inside? Jesus says, look at their lives. False prophets reveal their true identity through their character. Which should be no surprise to us at all because of Jesus' consistent emphasis on the inner workings of the heart on our character all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, starting with the Beatitudes. Is he able to publicly repent of sins or admit mistakes? Is she willing to lose power and privilege and prestige? Is he a servant Not just publicly, but behind the scenes when no one else is watching. Does she use her authority to lift others up, or does she always lord it over them? Is his life marked by gratitude or by gloating? Pastor and author Ray Ortland wrote this recently, and I found it to be helpful. He said, Jeremiah and Jesus denounced the sins of their nations, but they also wept. True prophets never gloat, they weep. Does she treat those who disagree with her with respect and a desire for their good? How does he treat those who wrong him publicly, mercifully, vindictively? Does he point people to himself and his accomplishments, or does he point people to Christ and his 
accomplishments? Is she marked by character qualities that Galatians 5 calls the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And what are those directly under their leadership like? Because teachers and leaders tend to replicate themselves. You get a glimpse into their heart, into the heart of a teacher, in and through the lives of those who come under his or her influence more and more. In other words, do you see in the teacher in question any of the unexpected, upside-down qualities taught in the Sermon on the Mount? This vision of life that Jesus here is describing as the narrow gate and road that's far less traveled on. You see, because false teachers, false prophets, not only reveal their identity through their teaching, they also reveal their true identity through their character. As Bishop J.C. Ryle once wrote with great wisdom, sound doctrine and holy living are the marks of true prophets. And as this teaching comes from the lips of Jesus himself, perhaps you yourself are you're experiencing this, that it's almost impossible to consider this and not immediately compare this profile of this false prophet with the life and ministry of Jesus himself. After all, Jesus is the true prophet. Jesus always and only spoke the truth to us, even truth we did not want to hear. Because he knew it might hurt, but it always also leads to life. Jesus spoke with true authority, yet never boastfully. The fruit of Jesus' life was perfect love. He was ever motivated by love, our good and gain, not his. Jesus didn't devour the sheep. He laid down his life for the sheep. He was the good shepherd, as he called himself. Jesus walked the road of weakness, not power. He walked the road to the cross. He rescued us not by war horses and cavalry. He rescued us by dying on Calvary. He was cut down and thrown into the fire for our bad fruit. Though he himself was a tree that bore good fruit, perfect fruit, though he himself had only walked the narrow road, though he himself sacrificed everything to pass through the narrow gate, he came not as a wolf clothed like sheep, he came as one of the sheep clothed in frail humanity. And he called himself and came as the Lamb of God. Slain as our substitute, sacrificed for the sins of the world. You see, Jesus is the true prophet. There's no other teacher that passes his own fruit of character test like he does. And if that's true, and if you can begin to believe that that's true, you can trust him. What? Has he said to you lately, or what have you discovered in his words lately that has been difficult for you 
to trust. Perhaps the promise that it's in weakness that you'll find strength because you're too scared to go to the weak place. Or that if you love your enemies, you'll actually be giving life and be given life. That if you actually confess your sins, that you will be forgiven once and for all. That Jesus really is returning one day. And he will one day wipe every tear from your eyes. And that injustice, sin, and death itself one day will be no more. You can trust him. You can believe what he says. You can believe that his way is right. But we're scared and unbelieving. What if I do get hurt? What if I lose? What if there is no winning? What if I die? What if there's no living? Oh, do you hear the true prophet pointing you to the road to life? Beware of false prophets. More than that, look to the true prophet. He tells you to choose the small gate and narrow road. Do you trust him? Will you choose it? He tells you it leads to life because he is the gate to life. Because he is the road to life. He is life. Will you choose him today? Will you choose Jesus? Let's pray. So we fix our eyes on you and we peel our ears towards you. O prophet of prophets. O substitute for our sins. O lamb of God. O giver of life, we want to hear you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing some of this into our hearts.